All right, we may, we may laugh at TV judges, you guys, but <clears throat> it's really no laughing matter when someone who has authority all of a sudden really comes in to your presence. So how many of you, when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you look in your rear view mirror and you see the red and blue lights flashing and the police are behind you, how does that make you feel? Horrible. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you've been doing everything right. <laughs> when you see a police car in your rear view mirror, it's like your blood pressure price rises up. And um, so about three years ago, I was driving home from a dinner party and uh, coming up 2.15, it's about 10 o'clock at night. And I had that experience. I was driving, everything was fine. I was in the speed limit and all of a sudden these red and blue lights start flashing behind me. So I pull off my car to the side of the road and the guy comes out and he says, uh, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, no, sir, I don't. He goes, you have no license plate. And I forgot, uh, the week before, I had actually gotten in a car accident on I-15. And somebody had rear-ended me, and because of that, my license plate didn't fit on the car, so I stuck it in the window. So I told him that story, and I said, just check in the back, it's, it's back there. So he went back, looked, sure enough, the license plate had just fallen down, and we stuck it back up. <clears throat> he comes back around the car, and he goes, all right, thank you for, for that, that's, that's fine. He goes, Mr. Nelson, uh, have you been drinking this evening? And I'm like, well, I had a glass of champagne at dinner. He's like, is that all? And I'm like, well, maybe a glass and a half. And he goes, all right, hold on. So I'm sitting in there, and I'm just looking at my wife, Susie. I'm going, oh, this is weird. And he comes back to the car a few minutes later, and he says, Mr. Nelson, would you please step out of the car? And I just, I, I, like you, I just started laughing at him. I look at my wife, and I go, this is hilarious. So I open the door, and I go to get out of the car, and as I do, my foot catches the car, and I stumble. <laughs> and I come falling out of the car, and I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. And so he goes, are you all right, sir? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. And man, then he put me through the test, right? At this point, this dude is taking me down. I followed his finger like all over the whole state of Utah, I think, you know, making sure that I could follow it. He put me through all these rigors of tests. And then sure enough, he pulls out one of these. He goes, you ever seen one of these? I go, yeah. He goes, you ever used one of these? No, I have not. The old breathalyzer. So he takes off the paper and he says, blow into this thing. And I grab it and I'm like, you know, I blew like really hard because I didn't know if there's like a balloon or something I need to blow up or, or what the deal is. And, uh, and after he blows it up, he's so proud. He's kind of cocky and he's standing next to me and he pulls up the thing so both of us can see the numbers. And all of a sudden it comes out 0.00. He looks at me and goes, you're lucky. <laughs> Puts in his pocket and goes away. <laughs> now, now, I got to tell you what, the, the, the interesting thing is when you're in that situation, it's tough because what does that guy have? Yeah, he's got authority. He's got power. And, and I don't. I know that he can do anything pretty much he wants with me because of the position that he's in. And I tell you, man, he was. I know that he was trying to take me down. Oh, I forgot to tell you the other thing, too. Is as soon as I got out of the car and I stumbled, he goes, so what do you do? <laughs> I'm a pastor with a big smile on my face. I was scared I might not be seen. That was Saturday night. I might not come on Sunday morning. But here's the deal. We can feel like, I did, I felt like he wanted to get me for sure. And when we bring up God, and we talk about God in judgment, many times we can feel the exact same way. This is not a very popular topic. Um, many people in our culture say, if you believe in a God who judges, that's a primitive thought at best, and it's actually dangerous to believe in a God who judges. Um, you go to the, the bookstore, right, and you see, you go to the spirituality section, you know, there's chicken soup for the soul. I've never seen judgment for the soul. Anybody ever seen that? So that's not in there. 
because this isn't something that we really want to talk about. So we just did eight weeks about the love of God. And now we're going to start a series on Here Comes the Judge. And so here's my question. Is our love and justice incompatible? Can those two things not come together? I'm hoping by the end of tonight that you'll see that not just are they compatible, um, we actually need a God who judges. That's a very popular topic, actually, in our, in our culture today, right? Because you can't judge anybody, right? Isn't that, I mean, don't judge me. And so if anybody makes a judgment about anybody else, then all of a sudden you, you, know, you, you aren't tolerant, and that's what we want. That's our highest value, that you're tolerant of anything and everything. And so, and not only that, but uh, justice is a huge topic today. It's a hot-button issue. The fact that we're in Oklahoma or that we're in Swaziland, people love it. They love social justice. And so if we're going to figure out, well, why shouldn't people judge? Or are there times when we should judge? And so come, weeks three and four are going to be about that. What does that mean to be a people who don't judge or a people who do? And if we're going to talk about what justice is, what does social justice really look like? To be able to get to those topics at all, the first thing you have to do is you have to look at God, who is the revealer of everything that's true. And tonight, we're going to look at the fact that God says he is a God who is just and that he judges. And so, um, so I know um, we just got to take a moment here before I jump in and let's just pray because <laughs> tonight will be a little more intense, okay? And I think what can happen is when you hear words like this, just like you get tense when you see the police officer in your rearview mirror, you can, you're, you, you're thinking about God in this way can make you tense and then your heart can get hard. And don't, I just want to encourage you, don't do that, Okay? Just, and I'm going to pray for you, and you pray for yourself as well, just, just to keep your heart soft before God, because what you want more than anything is to really know who God is, all of him, all of him, okay? So let me pray, and then we'll, then we'll jump into this topic. God, uh, thank you for this evening. Thank you for everyone who's here. I know that they're not here by accident, and I know that you love them. And I believe that there's a reason, there's something that you want to speak into the heart of everybody who's here. And I ask God that you'd open up the eyes of our heart so that we can really see you for who you are. And Lord, I pray again for myself and I just ask that you would give me grace to be able to teach what is true with grace. And we just ask you now to have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing that we need to look at is the fact that we actually need a judge, okay? And this is, this is one of these things that you're going to, we just do, we just need a judge. For two reasons, I'm going to share with you quickly, that judgment prevents chaos and judgment prevents vengeance. And so every time people have been gathered throughout history, as soon as people come together, government rises up. There's somebody who oversees the people, and the government legislates law, they execute the law, and they enforce the law. And when those who are in power, when those who are in authority are actually good, and when they're wise, and they're just, and they actually exist to serve the people, then those in authority, those who judge, provide peace, and they provide protection, and they provide provision. So then you go, we're glad, right, that there's those who judge. We, we're glad that there's those who govern. 
So take one moment for me here, just a moment, and imagine. Imagine living in a world where there was no judgment. What would we have? You'd have chaos. You just would. No determination of what's right or wrong or no enforcement of those determinations. So in Psalm 17:1, the psalmist says, "O Lord, hear my plea for justice." And I'm telling you that line right there is the cry within every human being. There is not a human being who doesn't cry out from the deepest part of their being for justice. He goes on and he says that, listen to my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer for it comes from honest lips, from the depth of my being, God. I need justice. And if you've ever been on the flip side of injustice, if you've ever been treated wrongly, you know that you cry out for justice. We want and need a judge. And so it helps prevent chaos in the world. Then some people will argue that if you actually believe in a God who judges, then it produces within you aggression. And so unfortunately, you can look back at the history of the world, right? And religion has done this, hasn't it? I mean, some people are saying religion has caused all the problems in the world. Because they believe that there's a God who judges, and so then they come alongside and they make those judgments for God, and next thing you know, there's wars in the name of God. And so that's why I'm saying, make sure you come back in two weeks, okay? And we're going to talk about the God who we're going to say tonight, judges, tells us, don't. All right? That's really important. But here's the question. How does one who has been wronged not get caught in the trap of bitterness, anger, and violence? How do you do that? It's in knowing that justice will be served, that one doesn't need to take violence into their own hands. So let me read for you some quotes from Miroslav Volf. Isn't that a great name? He's a Croatian philosopher and theologian. He says, the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. He says, imagine speaking to people like I do, where villages are burned and daughters are raped and sons are killed. See, this is the world he lives in. And what he's asking is, come to my world and then tell my people not to retaliate. Why? Why should we not retaliate? And Volf says, the only means is to believe that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God. Violence today thrives secretly nourished by the belief that God refuses to take the sword and refuses to judge. You guys follow that? Violence is secretly nourished in the belief that God isn't going to do anything about it. And I'm telling you what, if there's a God who creates law but then doesn't enforce it, then that's not a God who's worthy of our worship, you guys. And so we go on and we say, he, he basically says, if you don't want a judgmental God, it's because you have never experienced injustice. In fact, he says, this whole idea, actually, of, not, of a God who's not judgmental, that rises up in safe little suburbs. <laughs> Come and live with me in Croatia, he says. But I hear that, and I go, you know what? Our suburbs aren't that safe, are they? Every once in a while, I'll just sit in our third floor up there, and I'll look out, knowing 
the heartache that I do just within the people that are in our own church? Do you know how much stuff's going on out there? Some of you do. And you know the abuse? You know the neglect? You know the pain? You know the wrongs that are inflicted? And all he's saying is, how do you not retaliate? How do you not give violence for violence? It's if you know that there's a God who is just and who will judge, and it helps prevent vengeance. Romans 12, 17 and 19 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. So guys, we know, already you know, if you really think at all, you do want a judge to prevent chaos and to prevent vengeance. So here's the good news. We've got one. There is a judge. Look at this verse, Psalm 96, starting with verse 7. It says, O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts and worship the Lord in all of his holy splendor. Let the earth tremble before him. Tell the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the seas and everything in it shout the praise. Let the fields and the crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise. This guy's getting excited. Why? Because the Lord, he is coming and he's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. So you guys, here's the deal. God is the ultimate judge, and he can be nothing else but that. And in the Old Testament, when it talks about judge, when you see the word judge, it, re- it expresses the overall idea of governing. You, the, the legislative, the ex- executive, and the judicial functions are all within that. We separate those three, right? Because we need a democracy because we're hoping to keep corruption out of the government. <laughs> but when you have a king, right, the king has all those functions within one. So I don't know if you guys know this. You know that we're not in a democracy with God. Do you guys know you can't vote him out of office? <laughs> right? So he's Lord and he's king. And because he is, then the executive, legislative, and judicial functions all fall within God, which means he's the one who determined what is right and wrong. That's what God does. He's the one who put reality even into place. And it is his responsibility to enforce it. That's what he does. In the New Testament, the word judge really is mostly in the judicial function. And it means to evaluate, to distinguish between, and to make a verdict. It involves everything within the judicial system. It means bringing someone to trial, making a verdict, and then giving a just consequence, either in releasing or giving the due punishment. And God, very clearly, Jesus, there's no way, you guys, you can believe whatever you want. God gives you that freedom. But I'm telling you, if you're going to believe in Jesus, then what he teaches over and over again is there is a God who judges. 
That's his nature. It's his responsibility. Again, he's the creator. And if he is, then he's the one who created and determined reality and what's good and evil. So the creator, I'm sorry, the creation, creatures, you and I, we can't tell God that's not right. Now, how many of you have done that? (laughs) All of us have. We look back at God all the time and say, that's not right. See, but what we don't know. <laughs> See, because we're so limited in our understanding. God is holy. He's omniscient. He understands everything. He's the only one who does know. And probably the most important part about his character in his holiness is that he is righteous. And for God to be righteous, he must act righteously. And that's why he's just. God could never say that something evil is good, and he won't. God will never say that something that's in contradiction to his very nature is okay. That's just not going to happen. There is no reward for wrong, or God wouldn't be just or righteous. He can't do that. And we all understand this, you guys, because if you were in a court and there was a judge up there, and the case was given out, and someone had committed a heinous crime, and there was no question, the facts were so clear, and then the judge let the person go. What would, what would happen in that courtroom? What would happen? There would be outrage. People would go, wait a second, that judge is corrupt. There's something going on here. You guys, we do this with sports. I mean, seriously, the umpire misses a call at first base, and people go nuts, right, because he made a wrong judgment. Do you guys remember the Winter Olympics in 2002? You remember that Canadian uh, ice skaters and the, and the Russian ice skaters? And they gave the gold to the Russians? You guys, this was ice skating. That was it. And the whole world went berserk. Why? Because the judge was corrupt. We know in the depth of our being that we want somebody who makes righteous calls, and that's what God does. Deuteronomy 32 says this, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And you guys, we need a God who is like that. And I'm telling you, it's the hope for you even to be able to handle the chaos that's going inside your own heart. The own struggle that you have. I don't know about you, man. I I can hardly understand my own heart sometimes. My own thoughts. And there's chaos often going on in here. And what I need is someone who makes right judgments to come into my life, even to get rid of the chaos going on in here. The hope to get rid of the chaos in your marriage and in your other relationships. The hope of the chaos in this world is a God who is judging and making things right. And our righteous God does that. But he isn't just that, you guys. He's holy, he's righteous, he's the creator, but he is love. And here's the question you hear all the time. How could a loving God judge people, right? You guys hear that one? I hear that a lot. A loving God wouldn't do that. And I actually have to say, how could he not? 
How could he not? Let me share this. There is no way to truly love without having anger and wrath towards anything which destroys that which you love. Can I say that again? There is no way to truly love without having wrath and anger towards anything that would destroy the thing you love. Anybody have kids? Mess with my kid. Oh, that's all right. Go ahead. Just abuse my child. No, <laughs> right? I mean, somebody does something against my kid because I love them. There's naturally anger and wrath. If there's not, you don't love. You guys following this? And you all know that if you've ever loved anything. Something rises up inside of you if you actually truly love. And so why is it that we think that God who loves us should never be an angry God? that's, That's impossible. Because he loves us, he does have anger and wrath, and he will judge those things that are destructive. If he didn't, he would be a really corrupt God. In fact, I tell you, right now, you guys down in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, where our church is, that's what's going on. It's complete chaos down there, and violence is rampant. Why? Because those who rule aren't enforcing anything. Our friends can't even go out into the public right now without fear of losing their life. See, that's not freedom. (laughs) And so we need a God. We need people who actually love us. And because they do, they judge. Love without justice is pure sentimentality. And love necessarily entails justice. Now, I just want to tell you, for any of you in this room who have actually experienced injustice, for those of you who've been wronged and you know it deeply, This is huge for you. We need to know that there's a God who's going to rise up and make right what has been wrong. And so look at this verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and they will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I gotta be honest with you, that's a hard verse to read. But that's the word of God. I am just. And because I am, and because I'm righteous, and because I love, I will not let things go. And you will pay. So here comes the judge, you guys. And you're not him, by the way. You're not him. Have you ever learned that lesson, that you're not him? Let me give you another story. I'm driving down to, with Susie down to uh, Capitol Reef, um, beautiful place, and we get down there, and all of a sudden, they're in one of these towns, there's road construction. The road's narrow, and, the, and so the speed limit sign, right, it goes down. So we slow down, and we go through the construction, and then as soon as the construction's over, the, the road's widened back up, and so I go back up to the normal speed limit. 30 seconds later, there's the red and blue lights again. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what's going on? 
So I, I pull off the side of the road. Officer comes to my side of my door, asks me the same question. Do you know why I pulled you over? Does it, do they ask you guys that too? So, and, and I just looked at him. I said, no, I don't know why you pulled me over. He goes, well, you're, 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 uh, you've been speeding in a, in a construction zone. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I said, no. When the, when the construction was there, I slowed down. And then when the construction was over, I went back up to the normal speed limit. He said, well, you're actually still in the construction zone. The construction zone sign that tells you when it's done isn't for another half mile up the road. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Guess what? He wasn't kidding. <laughs> and here's the other thing that's interesting, is my opinion didn't matter. You guys ever had that? It doesn't matter what I thought in that moment. Why? Because he has authority. And so, you know, Joss Stone, she did that song years ago, I've got a right to be wrong. You guys remember that song? Well, she was wrong, by the way. And I know my singing was wrong too, but, but she, she says, I have a right to be wrong, and she's wrong. You do have the freedom to be wrong. And that's important to understand. God has given every one of you the freedom to do whatever you want. But just because you're free to do whatever you want doesn't mean that when you do wrong, it's okay. And you've experienced that, man. If the teacher gave you a certain grade, right, and flunked you in the class and you said, hey, wait, I got a right to be wrong. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah, right? What did the person say in the video? <laughs> it was hilarious. The judge looks at the guy and says, you're dead wrong. And he says, well, that's your opinion. She just says, no, that's my ruling. See, guys, that's actually really important to understand because your opinion doesn't matter. There's one God and one king and one judge who's ruler of all, and that's God, and it's not you. Now, we need a judge, and we have one, and here's the third point. Every single one of us is going to be judged. We will be judged. Tell you, man, you look at the life of Jesus, and we just did for eight weeks, and his love is amazing, the way he cares, the way he gave his life up, the way he was never about himself. It's a beautiful thing to see, and people who aren't Christians or who are will think Jesus was an awesome person. But the other thing that Jesus had was authority, and he had authority over nature, and he had authority over physical disease. He had authority over the demonic realm. He had authority to forgive. And then the other thing that was amazing about Jesus, you can't read the scriptures without seeing that he also made very clear judgments. <laughs> he spoke very harshly to people at times. And so what's interesting about Christ and the beauty of all that he did in giving his life away and full of mercy and all this grace, right at the end of his life in the book of John in chapter 12, the last thing he says to the public, okay, before he grabs his 12 guys and goes off to prepare to die on the cross, the last thing he tells the public is about judgment. Look at this, John chapter 12, verse 44. Then Jesus cried out. And let's just stop right there. That word cry can either mean to weep or it can mean to cry out, to yell out. And I would say, in this right here, I believe probably those two things were going on in Christ's heart. It's his last chance to speak to the public. 
and he cries out, just like he wept over Jerusalem. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He cries out and he says this, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. And the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. See, right here, Jesus used one of his beautiful metaphors, light. Because when light comes in, all of a sudden, truth is revealed in another place. He simply says, I came to testify to the truth. And you guys, and then he said, what? The truth is what sets you free. So he said, I came to show you what is true. I taught you these things. And then he does, not only that, he goes, I showed you. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. We get to see what God was like in the life of Christ. And then verse 47, he says, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. You guys, this is when the news gets so good. The judge, because all the way, all the, everywhere else you look, it's about the judgment seat of Christ. But what he's saying right here is, I didn't come to judge, well, I came to save. Here's what's cool, is the judge is the one who loves. And so Jesus came to try to turn on the light of reality to help all of us who are duped into this lie at thinking we're okay in all of our sin. And he says, no, listen, I am, I am the judge, I will judge, I must judge, but I have come to save you. From what? From that judgment. So can I just beg you with all of my heart, don't miss next week, okay? Because next week, this, this title is God is Just. Next week is the God who justifies. And it's the greatest news in all the world. But you, Christianity makes no sense. Jesus makes no sense whatsoever unless there really is a God who judges. Because if he came to save you, the only reason you needed saving is because you could die. And he came to save you from that. So in the midst of his judgment, don't ever forget that the one who judges gave himself up to save you from the judgment. That's unbelievable. Please don't miss next week. Verse 48. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words that I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say, all that I have spoken. I know that his commands lead to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So Jesus says that something's going to happen <clears throat> on the last day, and, and this is talked a lot about in Scripture, you guys. There is a last day. There's a culmination of history. It's called the day of judgment. And Jesus, again, you can't, it's fine. I mean, you have, again, the freedom not to believe in Jesus. That's, that's your freedom. But if you do believe in him, there's no way you can believe in him without understanding his very clear teaching. I'm coming down to tell you that one day you're going to stand before God. And in that moment, you will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says it this way. Paul says, for we must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things that we've done while in the body, whether good or bad. And what's interesting about that word, that word we must all appear, is appear means we will be made manifest. In other words, we will be known for exactly as we are. And so what's interesting about that is all of us, me, all of us, we all put on masks, right? We all try to make ourselves look a certain way so that the world will accept us and depending on who we're with, we'll be different things. But when you're all alone at home and you look into the mirror, you know who you really are. And when you stand before God, who is truth and light, you, who you really are, will appear. And I just got to tell you, for any of you who would say that you're religious, for any of you who would say that you do religious things, and I, I just got to gotta tell you, there are many people, and Jesus struggled with this so much when he was here, is there are lots of people who go to church and actually have no intention of really loving God with all their heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a lot of people who go to church and they do religious stuff and they don't love people at all. Please, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're fooling God. Because when you get up there, all that stuff is just going to fall away. And who you really are is going to appear before God. And you will be judged, and so will I. And this is the teaching all through Scripture of this reality. Now, here's what's interesting, is this is where many people will go, that's not fair. This is where we get back to that a loving God wouldn't judge me. So let me just kind of walk you through this. If you decide to live your life void of God, if you decide not to center your life around him, but you center your life around yourself, or you center your life around anything else that's created, and you decide that you're good without God, you can, you kind of, well, maybe you want him whenever you're in trouble or you need him, but you don't really want God in your life. <laughs> then when you die, you will stand, that real person will come out, and God will make a judgment. And he will simply say, you had no desire to really have me in your life. And that's the judgment. And you're going to sit there and go, that's true. And then simply what God says, then I'm going to give you what you wanted. And you won't be with me. Because you didn't want me to be with you. So you guys, hell is basically a place without the presence of God. To which many people on earth have chosen. I don't want God in my life. And so here's what's interesting. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. And that thing that's growing within every human being is this desire to be in control and not have God interrupt our life. And that grows and grows. And it will be hell you will so not want God in your life, which is hell, the absence of God. And if that doesn't get nipped in the bud, that will be your eternity. Hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. If you want to be free from God, then that will be your destiny. 
Lewis goes on, he says, all God does in the end with people is give them what they most want. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> it's kind of weird. All God does in the end is give people what they most want, including freedom from himself. What could be more fair than that? See, here's what's interesting. People don't want God in their life, and yet then when they see him, and he says, great, then you won't have to have me in your life, they go, that's not fair! <laughs> no, that's fair. I'm just giving you what you said you wanted. There are only two kinds of people. Those who say, thy will be done to God, or those to whom God in the end will say, your will be done. And so as Lewis concludes, and he says, all that are in hell actually choose that. Because hell is not being in the presence of God. And Jesus came to let us know that that day's coming. And he came to save us from that day. Now, I got to tell you, I, I, this was a tough week, man, prepping this message. And I gave more time to this one than I have in a long time. And on Friday, I was so tense, I about bit Susie's head off. <laughs> tough being married to me because um i found myself really sad i did and and i found and i was just in tears and here's why because i know that some of you in this room have been so unfairly judged by the church and you've been judged by christians right and and please come back in two weeks and you'll see what god has to say about that and so I was nervous, to be honest with you, to share a message that's so clear about God's judgment because some of you, this is what you feared. I gave this message and all of a sudden you feel like red and blue lights are flashing behind you. And instead of the law being somebody, instead of the one who's governing, being someone who's good, who's actually seeking to provide peace and protection and provision, you think God is here just to wipe you out. And it's not true. But I also knew this. In James chapter 3, it says, not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So whatever judgment you're getting, mine's going to be worse. And so I, I just know this. I'm going to stand before God one day. And he's going to ask me what I taught. And I knew that on this night, I needed to let you know that there is a judgment that will happen. That God does judge according to his law, not yours. Not your interpretation. And not your opinion. That he alone has the authority to make law, to enforce it, and to judge. And that is what he is. And you guys, that day's coming. And once you have Christ, I can tell you this, man. I don't fear that day. I have no fear of that day. And that's why you need to come back next week. It's really hard. I wish I could do both messages together because I want to give you the good news of Christ who took the punishment so that we can be free. You need that. And I need that. 